take that. Oh, let me take that first sip of coffee in the morning. Wait a minute. Oh, yeah, how good it is. The first sip. Wait. Mm. Oh, yeah. I am uh, coming to you from... Oh, we have sirens already early on a Sunday here in Brighton. I'm coming to you live from 12 Corners Plaza in Brighton, where I've just walked out of Starbucks with my venti latte extra shot, extra hot. That's what I've been going with these days. I'm on like a two or three week streak with that drink. I'm not one of those people who gets a drink and, uh, and, and sticks with it forever. I switch up every three weeks or so. Like, you know, it, it, Latte, lattes are in my rotation. I come back to latte a lot. But, I, you know, I'm in like three weeks now of latte extra shot, extra hot. And I, uh, I don't know if it's going to last, you know. Uh, I did, I, I did pumpkin spice latte. They're just too goddamn sweet is the problem with the pumpkin spice latte. I, I always get one every year thinking this would be the year I fall in love. And then every year I go, eh. I, no, I, here's the other thing about Starbucks. Because I know what I'm going to get. I'm going to get people say, Molly, for years you said on the radio that you prefer Dunkin' Donuts. Now we hear the real story. You like Starbucks. No. Not the real story. Let me explain. I can explain. I live in 12 Corners Brighton. Okay? And uh, very lucky. I've got a great plaza with a lot of good stuff, including a Starbucks. However, if you think about it, I don't know if you know the geography at all, but 12 Corners Brighton also has a Dunkin' Donuts, or so we did for a long time. But earlier this year, COVID or not COVID, I don't know why, earlier this year, they closed my 12 Corners Dunkin' Donuts. And I'll be honest with you, what do they say when it comes time to open a restaurant, or I guess in this case, coffee shop, location, location, location. And having a Starbucks 30 seconds from my house, and no longer having a Dunkin' 30 seconds from my house, I'll be honest, I just flat out went for the convenience of the Starbucks, and now I gotta admit I like Starbucks. I didn't hate Starbucks before, I just prefer Dunkin'. I, I, here, here, and here's the next thing, because I'm just realizing this in real time, I was about to say I still prefer Dunkin', I don't know if I do. I don't know, I haven't had Dunkin' in weeks. Here's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a point of. Next time I go buy a Dunkin' Donuts, I'm hauling in, I'm getting a coffee. Just to see if it's still my first love. Just to see. But I've been getting Starbucks for the convenience. So I don't want you to... I wasn't lying to you for years on the radio. I did prefer Dunkin' Donuts. I think I still prefer Dunkin' Donuts. I'm just not willing to go a couple minutes out of my way for Dunkin' Donuts. So it's not that. You know, anyway. Uh, special edition of the... Uh, podcast this week. I've been doing this thing where every time it's a holiday week, I just do a solo show. And I get some people who tell me they like the solo shows, so that's why I like to mix them in. And and is, is it a holiday? That's the question. It's Columbus Day tomorrow. Uh, does that count as a holiday? Very controversial. Very controversial question. Um, you know, as a Italian who is very proud of his Italian heritage. I should say, as an American Italian, who's very proud of his Italian heritage and Italian background, I think I'm supposed to kind of defend Christopher Columbus. However, I can't do it uh, because the whole story's a little ridiculous, if you ask me. 
I mean, here's what I know. Here's the drunken history version, although it's not drunk. It's a Sunday morning at 7 a.m. But, uh, you know, the guy, the this Italian dude is, like, begging everyone in Europe for money because he's going to go find it and he's going to go to India. And uh, he finally gets it. He goes to India, and except it's not India. But when he gets there, he sees a bunch of people. And the people are like, how you doing? And he's like, hey, Indians, you're Indians, right? And they're like, no, 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 this is not India. Nope. And he's like, Indians. And they're like, no, 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 totally different thing. Just people living over here on this continent doing our own thing. And he's like, got it, Indians. And uh, and, and that ignorance, you know, to this day, there's people who call them the Indians. There is a baseball team called the Indians. I happen to root for a baseball team called the Indians. And so it's hard to defend all that, you know? Especially once you get beyond just the ignorance of, like, the guy landed at the wrong place. And then just, just basically, I mean, talk about the ultimate, like, talk about, like, the ultimate white guy, you know, like, white privileged guy. It's just like, this is India. And somebody's like, nope. And he's like, Yep. And everyone's just kind of like, all right, I guess this guy's just going to run with this India thing. Just talk about the ultimate, like, you know, it just reminds me of, like, middle man, some middle manager somewhere named Ron, who's uh, turning in his uh, TPS reports and being told he did something wrong by some subordinate who's ten times smarter than him, but for some reason he has the better job. And he's, and even though they're right and he's wrong, he, uh, he just asserts his dominance over him or her, and they just run with the wrong answer forever. Not saying I ever experienced that, just saying I think these things happen. By the way, I'm, I'm driving to work right now. I never even really hashed this out, but I'm driving to work right now. Uh, got to spend the day basically today making, uh, making stuff where we're insanely busy at work right now. It's, uh, to be honest, it's, it's overwhelming at this point how busy we are at work right now. And I'm not humble bragging when I say that. It's really keeping me up at night. And I'm really worried because, and everyone says, they all say, Polly, look, the opposite problem, if you were sitting here and you didn't know what you were going to make today or what you were going to make tomorrow, if that was your problem, you'd have a big problem. The fact that you are too busy and you need to go work all day Saturday and work all day Sunday and work overnight and you know you, th- these are good problems it means there's high demand that's true I get that that's true nonetheless these are problems nonetheless because you know we got to find a way to uh well anyway this is my own my own shit but we just got to find a way to uh pump out more product a little bit more efficiently you know which is equipment and investment but you know I want to get boring with this podcast and start talking about equipment. You'd be surprised, you know, because what I'm talking about here is like a canning line, like getting some sort of automated canning line. Uh, right now, we're all hand everything, and you'd be just be surprised how fucking expensive everything is. The the machinery, the canning line stuff. I mean, just how expensive it all is. It's, it's unbelievable. We. I was talking to a guy this week. So I've been bringing in guys to kind of quote me on canning lines and stuff. And I was talking to this guy this week. And he's telling me just to put a 90 degree turn in a conveyor belt. We're just talking about a conveyor belt, you know. 
To make a 90 degree turn on a conveyor belt is like $8,000. Just to make your conveyor belt turn 90 degrees. Are you fucking kidding me? It's crazy. Anyway. Um, so a few years ago, I was lucky enough on Columbus Day that I was asked to speak at the, oh God, now I can't even think about it. The uh, Italian, was it the Italian American? <coughs> Excuse me. The Italian, oh, you gotta watch coughing. Now, now with COVID, you can't cough. You cough or you sneeze, you're done. You're done. I used to not like when people coughed or sneezed before COVID. <laughs> now with COVID, if you're in public, you cough or sneeze. You're getting dirty looks, man. Dirty looks, and I just coughed on a podcast. That's no good. Let me take another sip of my... Hey, that's the problem, is I'm talking. It's early in the morning. I just woke up. Let me take another sip of coffee without crashing my car. Hold on. I have myself rigged up a little bit here so I can podcast hands-free, but it ain't easy. Um, a few years ago, I think it was the Italian American Sports Club asked me to speak on Columbus Day. It was a real honor. I was the keynote speaker, and it was uh, that thing that they do every year at, and I'm sure they're not doing it this year because of COVID, but they do it every year at the um, the Diplomat. And it was, it, I didn't quite realize, you know, just exactly how big of a deal it was. They were dignitary, you know, it was Mayor Lovely Warren was there, Cheryl Donolfo was there, the executive at the time, county executive. All the, you know, there were tables full of politicians um, everybody who was anybody in Rochester really was at this lunch, and I did not realize the extent to which this was an honor. And I, to this day, I fear that I was underwhelming as a speaker. I don't, I still don't know, to tell you the truth. I think what it was was I was asked to do it by the DeCesars, uh, Tony D. Remember Tony DeCesar? Tony D's aunt and uncle um, asked me to do it. And, um, Nellie de Caesar, right? Yeah. And I, I don't remember exactly why I was asked. I was going to lunch a lot at the time at the Italian American Sports Club, which I miss going to those lunches. If anybody knows, if those lunches are still going on, if anybody knows, let me know. Um, oh my God, I'm getting so distracted right now because I just glanced down at my radio and I, I've been meaning to tell you this on the podcast for a few weeks now and I keep forgetting, but... My new car came with the standard Sirius XM, you know, three-month free trial. And I, I remember really liking Sirius XM a few years ago, and then I just kind of just kind of realized, like, I think podcasts basically knocked me out of Sirius XM a few years ago. I just fell really into podcasts, and basically I just stopped listening to satellite radio. But now that I'm in the car, you know, and I'm driving back and forth from Brighton to Bergen every day to my plant, I'm, I'm in the car for 23 minutes a day. Generally, the way home is spent making phone calls, just returning calls or making whatever calls I needed to make that day that I didn't get around to. But the way to work every day is generally just me time where I get to listen to the radio. And I've been listening to a lot of satellite radio. And I, I love it. I forgot that I love it is what I'm trying to say. I, I think if you talked to me six months ago, I would have said, eh, satellite, eh. But I've actually found myself, like, falling back in love with satellite radio. And one of the things, one of the channels I used to listen to was um, Hip Hop Nation, because, you know, I'm a hip hop fan. But I've been, I've, I've aged out. I've completely aged out of Hip Hop Nation. 
and there's a new station called Sirius XM Fly now, which is all 90s and 2000s hip-hop, and that shit is my jam right now. I listen to Hip Hop Nation a little bit to see if I can, like, still get down at all with the music that's on, but I can't for the most part. It's, uh, every single song is by either Da Baby or Lil Baby or Baby Da Baby or whatever the fuck. There's every, everyone's name is Baby now, apparently. <laughs> and every single song also is featuring Cardi B right now. That's another thing. But anyway. But, um, the Columbus Day, uh, day, the day that I was asked to speak, I remember I was going to the Italian American Sports Club a lot, and uh, I was sitting with the DeCesars, and my friend Mary Chow was who brought me there originally, and by the way, I, shout out to Mary Chow, she uh, she moved to New Jersey recently, got a new gig writing in northern New Jersey, I'm not sure if she's covering specifically northern New Jersey, or if she's covering New York City, because a lot of times, right, like, you know, northern New Jersey basically is New York City, but anyway, shout out to her, she brought me there originally to the Italian American Sports Club, and we sat with the DeCesars, and apparently that year they were the chairs of this Columbus Day luncheon, and I started talking to them a little bit, and um, they're Italian, they're born and raised in Italy, and I studied a year in Italy as an exchange student, so I can carry on, and, and I, I want to be very fair when I say this. I can carry a very basic Italian conversation right now. And honestly, it's not wonderful, my ability to comprehend Italian anymore. I walked into that new bakery in Rochester on East Winton, uh, Dolce, Italy, which, by the way, the food was amazing. But it's in the same plaza as... Uh, same plaza as Lucano. I have to imagine at this point, that plaza is the most authentically Italian plaza in all of Rochester, because Lucano, you know, when you talk about authentic Italian food, because there's two Italian foods, there's American Italian, and there's Italian Italian, American Italian is spaghetti and meatballs, right, Italian Italian is far more than that, and Lucano, if you go, if you just want to Google, like, look at Lucano's menu, Lucano, Ristorante Lucano, you'll see what I mean by Italian Italian, but now, right next door to them, they've actually subleased this space for Dolce Italy, which is just a wonderful little bakery. Unfortunately, they've got long lines there. They're small. They've got these tiny, this tiny little walk-in area, and they've got these long lines, and they sell out every day, which I guess is a good problem to have, but again, a problem nonetheless. They're in the same boat I am with being too damn busy. Um, and their story is great, too. Tracy Schumacher did a, st a story in the DNC this week where she talked about how they even ended up in Rochester because they're Italian and the kid that works up front, the teenager, is the only guy who's bilingual. And it's wonderful. I walked in there and I carried a conversation on with them, a little bit in Italian, mostly in English, but uh, they are from Italy. They moved to Los Angeles a few years ago for business opportunity. And then his sister got sick and they're waiting for, I think it's a heart transplant or maybe it's a, it's a transplant of some sort, and it's um, being done in Rochester, the OVAR, and they were basically told to come close to Rochester so that when they get that phone call, they can go into surgery, you know, the next day. So they moved to Rochester just to be next to the hospital where they're going to eventually get this phone call for this transplant, and in the meantime, the business they were doing in L.A. was they were doing, you know, they had a bakery, and so... Here in Rochester, now they open up this bakery, and it's great. It's Dolce Italy. It's, you got to go. It's Easton Winton, and it's uh, 
in that little plaza. There's a Chinese joint there called Wong's Kitchen. <coughs> oh, there we go. Coughing again. Stop it, Polly. No coughing. You can't cough anymore. I'm sipping my latte. Anyway. Um, so... I don't know why I was telling you the story about Dolce Italy, but oh, I, I guess I was talking about the the Caesars and having lunch with them and how they chose me to be the keynote speaker for that one Columbus Day luncheon. So I was able to carry on a basic Italian conversation with them, which I think initially impressed them because they speak that you know their native is obviously Italian. They speak some English, but I think they're more comfortable with Italian. And then you know, hearing that I had studied in Italy. And then finally hearing that I had started basically an Italian foods business. And then I think beyond that, hearing that I wasn't from here. You know, that I had come here knowing nobody, which is true. It's the second time in my life I did that, by the way. And when you talk about what are you proud of in life, a lot of people think I'm going to talk about starting my businesses. And it's not, I'm extremely proud of that, don't get me wrong. But the thing I'm probably most proud of in life is obviously my wife and son. But second is the fact that two different times in my life, I have moved to a place where I didn't know a single soul. Not a soul. And ended up, you know, doing fine. Uh, you know, Italy the first time, and then um, Rochester, obviously, the second time. Anyway, I think they got a kick out of the fact that I had gone to Italy, studied, came back, could carry on an Italian conversation... Had, had moved to Rochester and had started these businesses. And, you know, so they asked me to be a, a, a keynote speaker. And I did a thing as a keynote speaker where I, uh, and part of being the keynote speaker, by the way, of course, is they're going to sell you advertising too. So I can't, uh, you know, after I accept the invitation to be keynote speaker, the next thing that happens is I get a letter in the mail saying, program is coming out, and a full-page ad is $1,000, and a half-page is $500, and I'm going, well, you know how this works. i got to buy a thousand-page, thousand-dollar ad, but that's fine. I was happy to do it. Um, nonetheless, I centered my speech around how Italians are very welcoming. Italians are family, right? And Italians just kind of show love, and that love that I felt when I walked into the Italian-American Sports Club, I knew one person. I knew Mary Chow, who had brought me, but, you know, everyone was just kind of welcoming. I really felt like I could sit at any table and sort of centered my speech around the Italian, the, the Italian uh, custom of making room at the table for literally anybody. I love that, and that's how I centered it. And I hope I did an okay job, but after Mary asked me about Columbus Day and if I believed it should be Columbus Day or Indigenous Peoples Day or just dropped all together. And I, you know, and I said, look, I, I uh, certainly think there should be an Italian-American Day. I think that there's a lot of Italian-Americans doing a lot of great things in this country. And I think that having a day to, to celebrate Italian-Americans is wonderful. Should it be called Columbus Day? Probably not. I'm not sure Christopher Columbus was necessarily good for people if you in the grand scheme of things. But uh, and she put it all in the paper, and I was like, oh shit! I wonder if I just pissed off everybody that I saw because it was in the very next day. 
So I wonder if I just pissed off everybody that I just spoke in front of. <coughs> Excuse me. Man, man. Um, but yeah, ultimately that's, that's sort of how I feel about it. Alright, I wanted to uh, talk about one more thing before I get to work here, and that is the documentary The Social Dilemma, which I watched. Finally, it's been out for a month or two, so I'm, I'm late to the game, which maybe is good, because it means by this time maybe you've seen it, but if you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. It is a wonderful documentary on social media, and I'm going to tell you the truth. I remember saying, and I don't think I'm a genius, I don't think I'm smart, I don't even think I'm ahead of the curve. But a couple of years ago, I said live on the Brother Weeze show, I said, I believe years down the road, social media will be considered dangerous and that you will have to go through a bunch of disclaimers before you're allowed to sign up for a social media page or account. And I'm somebody who's been down with social media like really early. If you look at my account, like look at my Facebook my Facebook will tell you I've been on since 2005. I was in, like, the second wave of schools that was allowed to have what at the time was called the Facebook. After Harvard and then, like, the Ivy League schools, the next wave after that included John Carroll University, where I was a senior. So I've been on Facebook longer than pretty much anybody you know. And Twitter, too. Twitter started in 2006-ish or seven, and Britney Spears was on, and I was doing Top 40 radio at the time. And when she got on Twitter, it was a story. So I got on Twitter. And then I honestly barely kept up with Twitter. And then, like, two years later, I deleted my Twitter because I decided it was never going to take off. And then about two years after that, it took off. So I had to restart a Twitter. So I wish I still had that original one because I'm kind of proud of my Facebook, you know, member since 2005. I would have a Twitter, you know, member since 2007 if I hadn't deleted my original one. Son of a bitch. Anyway. The documentary is about something I said on the air that day. On the air that day, I very, very much so remember saying, social media is dangerous, it's going to be considered dangerous in the future, and in the future, you're going to have to sign away your life in order to have social media, because it's just so bad for you. And and I and listen, and I certainly have a level of addiction to my social media, and the people I worked with on the show at the time, Brother Weeze, Deanna King were very addicted to social media, and I don't think they would hide that. I don't think they would be mad at me for saying that. I, I, in fact, I believe both of them on the air many times when this came up would, would admit it, and I obviously, I also admit, I'm like, look, I'm, I literally, now it's better now that I'm not on radio, thank God, but I would still say I check all my social media accounts at least once a day, at least once per day, which I still think is, is, a, is an addiction, but when I was in radio, it was several times a day. And uh, I remember saying that, and I, and I remember being, quite frankly, basically laughed out of the room. I remember Weez basically immediately dismissing it, and then Deanna jumping on and saying to me something along the lines of, so you think social media is going away? And I was like, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. And I just remember both of them looking at each other, rolling their eyes, and moving on. And, you know, look, I mean here we are a couple years later, this documentary comes out, and you've got all these, the documentary really is these engineers who were all part of Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, etc., etc. And they're talking about how dangerously addicting these things are, how there are engineers, the smartest in the world, hired to write programs designed to addict you. 
And if they notice your engagement going down, they try harder. And one of the things I found most interesting was how you and I don't see the same things. And again, back to radio, I remember the very first big fight I ever got into with Brother Weeze was over this exact topic. But it was, and I think now he knows that I was right, but uh, it was this. It was Facebook feeds are customized to you. Now, at this point, that's obvious. Everybody knows that. They're customized to you. It's your Facebook feed. You're seeing, you know, the things that the algorithms have decided you want to see. And that comes right down to, like, political opinion. I mean, that's why everybody is so positive that their political beliefs are right and that the people on the other side are just stupid. Because when they go on social media, they're seeing a lot of things targeted specifically at them. Either it's people on their side making a lot of sense or it's people on the other side making absolutely no sense. And that's what they're seeing. And so thus, you know, they're, they're, they're being reinforced. And I remember one of the very first big, the big, big fight that I ever got in with Weez, where it was like 10 minutes on the air. And I was so new that everyone was just calling me an idiot, even though I was right. And it was because I was trying to explain to Weez that what he was seeing on his Facebook feed was different from what I was seeing on my Facebook feed. And he just didn't believe that. He just thought that was impossible. You know, if you go on Facebook, you should be seeing the same thing I'm seeing. And yeah, obviously, well, we know that's just not true. So this documentary talks about how they customize that feed really just for your addiction. And then the ads that pop up really are just, they're on a bidding system. And, I, and I'm part of this. I advertise on um, social media, really. I do Google AdWords, all that, where I'm, you know, I'm putting in $20 a day. <laughs> and I'm bidding on you as you Google Italian food, Rochester, jarred sauce, pasta sauce, local sauce. And, you know, I'm bidding where I'm saying, hey, I'll give you up to a dollar per impression for the first 20 impressions of people who Google those things within 100 miles of Rochester. That's how that, that kind of shit works. So anyway, um, the, it just it, the, the documentary, if you haven't seen it, dives into that. But it really just dives into just how goddamn unhealthy this is for people, especially young people, especially teenagers and preteens, they're basing their whole existence on their popularity on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. It's really sad. It's really, really, really sad. All right, I just pulled up to my factory. I got to go in, make stuff all day, making, uh, what am I making today? Making garlic butter, making salsa, and I'm making some uh, tomato sauce today, so... It's going to be a hell of a day. Hoping to get home by the Browns game. Browns play the Colts this afternoon. Bills don't play today. Kind of actually, be honest with you, kind of looking forward to it. When else do you get to watch football on a Tuesday? So the Bills got postponed to Tuesday, and I'm not mad about it. Um, oh, one quick story, though, about young people right before I get in. So I have a, a couple, I have some people who work for me that are in their young 20s, and um, we have these giant barrels, these 55-gallon barrels that we bring in of uh, something called Bulliard, which is kind of like a hot sauce. It's like Frank's Red Hot. But to be honest with you, if you ever get a chance, you should look up this brand called Bulliard. B-U-L-L-I-A-R-D. I think it's better than Frank's Red Hot. We bring it in in these 55-gallon drums. And the drums have to be tapped. Not not exactly like a keg has to be tapped, like a beer keg, but but somewhat similar, you know, similar type deal where you have to like tap these barrels with a pump and then you can pump out the Red Hot. And uh, I referenced that we had to tap the barrel like you would tap a keg. 
And these two kids are looking at me. And again, these are two kids that are like seniors in college, right? One is a senior in college, one's a couple years out of college. And they're looking at me going, tap a what? And I go, tap a keg. And I'm looking at these guys and I think they're fucking with me. I'm like, you guys are kidding. You don't know what tapping a keg is? And they're looking, and both of them, and I'm telling you guys, their faces were blank. They're like, a beer keg? And I'm going, yes. And then they both said, and this is something I found interesting. They said, look, I don't think keg parties are what they were when you were in college, Polly. You know, I don't think they're doing keg parties anymore. I don't know. That's what these kids told me. Neither one of them knew what I meant by tapping a keg. Swear to God. One didn't know at all. The other one knew, but admitted that he only knew from the movies. 